Good morning, traders. I hope you guys are ready for another number one pre-market prep show. I'm excited to go ahead and dive on in. We got a lot to talk about, a lot to look forward this week. We'll do a little bit of a rundown of what to watch, all the economical data and everything you guys should be watching for. Let's go ahead. Let's take a look at the topics today. We're going to talk about, of course, tariffs in the U.S. and the Chinese. We'll see if there's going to be kind of rolling back some of these uh, trade levels and tariffs. We'll talk about that. Wedbush analyst Daniel Ives, I got to give him a shout out. He comes on here sometimes. He expected some uh, deliveries from Tesla. We'll talk about Tesla's deliveries, see if they went and met uh, Dan, Dan Ives' expectations. Let's go ahead. We'll talk also about Berkshire going for another uh, bit of oxy here, um, now up to 17.4%. I will also talk about Tesla's deliveries and, of course, a rumor that's on out there right now. Hit the thumbs on up and welcome to Pre-Market Prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders. I hope you guys are, uh, if you had a little bit too much fun getting your water in, I just wanted to get a little water check in, but let's bring on my guys, Dennis Dick and Joel Alconan. What's going on, boys? Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning here. Uh, we'll just recap the markets. Who cares about the high? Uh, we're on the lows of the session. We're sinking. We're down 35 handles at 37.92 and a quarter. Uh, crude's in the red by 24 cents, 108.18. Gold under 1,800. 460, we're down at 1769.70. Silver in the red. Uh, down a couple pennies in 1965. Uh, Bitcoin just finding a home here at 19,520K. We're actually up 120 bucks at 19,400. And uh, Ethereum futures, uh, they're up $42.50 at 1105. Uh, Triple D, I mean, you said chop. I mean, are we just going to chop all week until the jobs number? Are we going to chop until we get the CPI data? I mean, CPI data isn't for July twentieth. I looked. I it thought up. it was the thirteenth. Is the thirteenth? Yeah. I looked up and it was spent. I mean, July twentieth. So either way, it's not coming for a while here yet. So it's a long time to wait. I think the data is going to be better. I think it's going to be softer. But if we're waiting eight days, or if it is in fact fifteen days, we got to find out which day it is. Here, we'll find that out for you. Um, maybe Mitch can look it up in the background or chat yeah. or chat will tell it's us. It's the 13th, it Dennis. It is the 13th. Maybe it's the Canadian CPI on the 20th. Probably. <laughs> that probably is it. Actually, I'm Googling <laughs> from Canada. <laughs> I guarantee you're right. I just Googled it quick this morning. So anyways, I mean, we're in a situation where what's the driver here? Really? Until we start seeing soft CPI data, it's hard to get bullish. So I'm going to stick with the same thing um hard to just go all in until we start to see that cpi data start to tick down the other economic economic data points are there but they don't matter nearly as much so i mean rallies continue to be sold we had a wicked rally overnight it's long gone now down 37 points here again tough market rallies to be sold until until we see the soft cpi data yeah and then also you take the flip side of that right and uh okay well you know they're doing too much to get bad inflation we're going into recession so really seems like you know there's there's like a no-win scenario on the table either we don't fight inflation or we do and then we have a recession so i think it's time for a couple of vacations is what i think that's what i need to you know you, you're bad, like yeah. exhausted you get a three-day weekend felt pretty good it was nice not to worry about stocks at least for a couple days until they opened on sunday night but it was at least you know nice to and then they were up actually sunday night so it was like just nice to just sit back and not think about the markets for a couple of days especially everybody's long-term portfolio is getting hit i mean if you're long only a majority of 99 percent of long-term investors are probably long only you're getting hit in this market so 
cash has been, you know, the only thing that's helped me to a certain extent to not get as hurt as bad as the market in the long-term portfolio. The trading has been excellent. Having a good trading year. Obviously, I trade market neutral. If you want to learn more about that, it's at premarketprep.com. But we talk about it on the show as well. I mean, I hedge everything. Even when I'm bullish a stock, I hedge it out so that I don't come in and all of a sudden, you know, the market falls 50 or 60 handles and I'm getting my ass kicked. So it's, um, you know, it's a difficult market, but, you know, it's the market we've got. We're going to be in it for a while. I, I said this again. I do not believe we're going to be bottom. Everybody's worried about missing the bottom because they keep thinking, you know, back to March 2020 and how cheap stocks were. And then they came right back. I don't think it's going to be the case this time. This has been just the death by a thousand cuts. And there's just so much overhead supply that I just don't think it's going to snap back. So I think you're going to have time. I don't think you need to worry. And I think that's why the market continues to leak, because a lot of money managers are saying the same thing. Do I have to rush in this market? Is there a worry that I'm going to miss the bottom? Or it seems like I wait a few days or I wait a few weeks and I get stocks cheaper. Tough market. Who's going to warn this week, right? We had, uh, you know, we had a couple warnings, uh, you know, last week in different sectors and Q, Q2 earnings season coming up. I mean, uh, but yeah. hey, you know, things always are looking, you know, darkest sometimes at, uh, at the bottom. So we'll see what happens. We, we're continuing. All right. Today. Don't have anything here for you. Yeah, it's leaking. Um, what to watch this week? I'm going to run into some of these uh, kind of things that you guys should keep on your radar, right? There's PMIs for the Euro area, India, India among others, Tuesday. U.S. factory good, durable goods will be released on Tuesday, so keep that on watch. Of course, the FOMC minutes will be released on Wednesday, but that's not all on Wednesday. You got U.S. PMIs, ISM services, and JOLTS jobs opening on Wednesday um, then we'll get into on Thursday, EIA crude oil inventory report. Definitely keep watch on that. Federal Governor Christopher Waller, St. Louis Fed uh, Bullard, scheduled to speak on Thursday. So keep that on your radar. And ECB accounts for its June policy meeting. And that's going to go on Thursday. And of course, all week long, we'll be watching towards, of course, Friday's job report, uh, U.S. employment report uh, for June on Friday. I think we'll definitely keep watch of this, of course, with that ugly R word that keeps being brought up, recession. Um, we're going to keep watching to see what happens. I do want to mention, um, who knows? Um, I don't know if you guys are, are thinking about longer term here in the second half for the market, uh, but... In uh, kind of that 1970 time when we were in a similar, uh, ex similar extreme time in inflation, we went down from 25% on the year up to 33% ending the year on the overall market. Uh, so what do you guys think about that? Do you guys think we go back to unchanged or even like crazy thoughts of maybe 33% upside? Joel, I'll let you take it because I actually just got intruded on. My daughter was coming in, so I just went off just for one minute. So I missed what you said. So we'll let Joel handle the question. Then I'll try to figure out. It'll be one of these guests. I'll try to guess the question because I missed the first part of it. Joel, go. Joel's lost too. No, no. I mean, you, you threw a lot of stuff at me there. I think what, what the, the bottom line was is you called for some crazy upside. Yeah, well, yeah, it happened yeah. in 1970 when we went from okay, down. I this ain't 1970. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all so right, I, you know, um, you know, I some more I, worries out there. You know what? I don't inflation. I, I don't care if we don't go up and make new all time highs. I would just like to see us stop going down and stabilize. Doesn't so seem too bad. yeah, I can't. You know, I can't call for. You know, three. You know, new. I mean, people that come up with the new high scenarios. I, I, I don't know, get it. I, I, I don't get it. I can't, I, and I, I've said this on the show here too, Mitch. Like, and we had, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously Craig Johnson came on the show and yeah. says he thinks we hit new highs by the end of the year. I respect Craig Johnson. He's called this market very well. I just cannot find the scenario in my own analysis to go along with that. So RBC analyst, same thing. New highs by the end of the year. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I don't even think it's going to be close. Um, do I think we could bounce from here? We could. We, we're oversold on a lot of stocks. That's why I said I think the time to be, you know, 100% cash is past us now. But it's the same thing even when we were in COVID too, Joel. Remember, like, you know, we called that back January, February. We were early on it. And then, you know, the market collapsed 30% basically in a month. 
it went down like 15, 18%. And that's when, you know, I, I covered my puts because I had puts because, you know, I talked about, you know, this pandemic for a long time ahead of time. You could kind of see it coming. And, um, you know, and then, you know, I was like, okay, well, I got to start buying some stocks. And then it kept going down. So I was like, I, you know, despite calling it right, the it's first, hard. you know, yeah. fall of 15, 16%, I was like, well, that feels about right. But then it just kept falling. So, I mean, this is slower, but it's kind of the same thing again. It's like, I want to try to get bullish here, but I don't want to be early again like I was during the COVID thing. And it bounced back and everything worked out there. But, you know, maybe, you know, if you got a five or 10 year time horizon, it's going to be okay too. But it just doesn't feel like it can turn on a dime and go back to all time highs. It just cannot envision that scenario. I mean, and even in the real world, like there's a house um, I'm renting still, obviously, at a different place because I've got my uh, my house built, which is going to hopefully be done in August and be able to finally move into my house. Uh, but, you know, this house just down the street from where I'm at, um, nice house, like real nice house, real, real beautiful finishes, pool in the backyard. It was like, you know, you'd think like in this area, and it's a nice area too. I was like, well, that's 800 plus, you know? And I'm like, maybe they'll be tough to get 800, but it's worth 800,000 like in this area. It's Canadian dollars too. So you got knocked the 30% off just because it's a mind boggling number. But I'm like, when they sold, I'm like, oh, it sold fast. It sold like a week and a half. So I'm like, oh, they must've got, you know, around 800,000. And I'm selling for 670. I'm like, holy. I'm like, that's like bringing us back to pricing like from a year and a half ago. The average house in Ontario, from the stats, that's from my buddy Jeff, the, the realtor, average house in Ontario fell $55,000 last month. 55000 in one month. month in over one month. month? One month, 55000 Now, again, you got you to gotta give it reference because prices were here and then we had the COVID bubble and everything went crazy. But they've come down. Like, they're starting to come in now. So yep. you are starting to see that demand destruction that we're talking about. I mean, higher rates are just a hoard less house. There's no doubt. Eventually, the higher rates will start to slow the economy. Eventually, the higher rates got to slow everything down. I mean, and we could go into Tesla sales here too. I mean, they weren't great. But again, expected because all the automotive sales aren't great. You can blame chip shortages. You can blame a lot of different Let's, things. But there's going to be some demand destruction. That's got to occur. Before we get to Tesla, let's talk to Chinese news. I think it's important also and it'll probably weigh into in the long run in Tesla also. So um, let's let's skip before we get to deliveries. Let's talk sure. about Chinese stocks overall. Um, U.S. And, and Chinese officials are holding talks right now amid, you know, trying to roll back some of these tariffs imposed by former President Donald Trump. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if this is the time to really start looking at Chinese stocks or is this more of the time to start selling? into the rumors what do you guys think here china's had a nice rally that's the one thing again it's in a whole different ball game because one we know the regulators are, are you know they, they were anti-stock it almost seemed like they're for a bit and they're starting to warm up they're starting not mm -hmm. be you know as hard against their companies but i mean they've just been in a 10-year bear market i mean eem has gone nowhere for a decade so we don't have this huge bubble to give back like we do in the U.S. market. So the biggest problem is, you know, in the U.S. markets is nosebleed valuations. That's what the biggest problem has been. You know, you can say about slowing GDP, you can say about slowing demand destruction. The biggest problem is people are just paying too much for stocks. That wasn't the case in China. That hasn't been the case in Europe for a long time. The, the world markets have not done well compared to the U.S. markets. The U.S. markets have been the best place to be for a long time. And that might continue with all our technology companies. But when you just stop and you look at the EEM, you know, is this where all the air is going to come out of? There's not that much air in it. So I'm not as scared for that reason that I don't think you're going to have this big sell-off, you know, in emerging markets. Now, with that being said, I mean, if we start to go and geopolitical risk is always a concern here. If China starts to talk more, you know, on the Taiwan situation, I mean, that can change. But right now, I'm not as scared of emerging markets as, you know, I have been in our markets because there's just not that big bubble there. Uh, well, for the EEM, I mean, I think the chart, you know, is set up right here. Like, you're just hanging, right? And you got three monthly lows, including the start to a new month. So there's the support. Uh, China's had a nice rally, right? The FXI uh, has had a nice rally. Looks like for the FXI, it looks like 35. You know, you could get to get super bullish on that. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I just... I don't know, man. There's just so much going on. As far as like rolling back these tariffs now and everything, I mean, is it the damage done? 
Like, if, even if they do roll back these tariffs, I mean, how long is it going to take to, like, filter through the system? I just, you know, I think I think it's a, it's a hope and a prayer, but I, I think we're going to, I think more demand destruction is coming, regardless of what happens with the tariffs. All right. You wanted to touch it, Dennis. Let's fly to it. Let's get into Tesla, of course. Sure. Uh, deliveries came out on Friday. Uh, Tesla announced uh, Q2 total production here, 258,580 units. Total deliveries of 254,695 units on a year-year basis. Uh, second quarter deliveries were up 26.5, but there was a decline from the first quarter numbers here. Um, wanted to say uh, a note here that Web Bush analyst uh, Daniel Ives had put out. He was modeling in here deliveries of 250,000 a quarter and added that anything above 260s would be viewed positively by the street. So in other words, uh, looks like expectations were met here by Tesla, um, but it was close towards that 260,000 number that was mentioned by Daniel Ives. Yeah, not a great quarter, but we've seen pretty bad quarters from a lot of other like a lot of other automakers here. So bar set low. I mean, you know, some of these other declines, you know, Mazda, Toyota have been substantial. So a, you know, a slight decline, you know, from the previous quarter, I think was to be expected. The chip shortage is really what's hitting it too. So we've got to, you know, consider that as well. Is it real demand destruction here or is it, you know, just chip issues with Tesla? I mean, I still see more Teslas popping up all the time. Again, the biggest problem with Tesla isn't, you know, the fact that the company isn't doing everything it should be doing. Run, I love Musk. It's always been nosebleed valuations is the problem here. And the, and the valuation is still nosebleed. Deserving so for a long time. But we've come back to reality here. And, you know, I'm in a reality where I train 100, paying 100 times earnings for something or 80 times earnings for something. Not in this market. So that's the tough part. And, I mean, you can go to the technicals here, Joel. You've got a key number that you've put a line on there in the top right yeah. corner. I mean, that's a number it absolutely has to hold. So below that, it could get really slippery and ugly. But give us that number, Joel. Yeah, the, the low of the move is like 620 and change, and you've come down that area. But just, you know, just keep it simple, you know, on the downside yeah. to break 620. You got a date under 600 here. Uh, let's see. Uh, five, the next monthly low is 571.22. I mean, really, since, I mean, it's been a negative market. Uh, the street has not really, I mean, there's been pressure on it since the, uh, he had, you know, the Twitter deal which we don't like to hear anything about anymore and you know where was Musk selling stock i mean he he was he was smart man he was selling a lot not a lot but oh asking twitter oh should i sell stock yeah he he, he it's a lot the top man yeah he did That's a smart way to go about it yeah oh i should pay more tax you know and he's trying to it was a smart way to like yep. come out of it i mean i don't know if it was a, with with some of that money obviously going to go and by Twitter. I'm not sure he did the right thing with it. I think it'd probably almost be better in Tesla. But with that being said, I mean, yeah, he spun it in a way that, you know, it sounded like he was just, you know, not just you know, ringing the register. But when you look back, he sold a lot of that stock at really good prices. Should be a trader, Musk. He does everything well. <laughs> Right. So, um, and then just short term here, there's pressure on it. Uh, are we are we at last week's low here? No. Nope. If you're looking for a number on the downside, uh, six fifty six fifty nine. That was low last week, and now you know on the upside, let's just call you know well unchanged right now is your first hurdle. But like, look at a lot of these breaks, just lower highs, like a lot of lower, you know, major lower highs here. So little pressure on a tit, uh, Tesla. We'll see if it takes out last week's low. And support is support until it's broken. That's always something to remember. You can write that down on page eight of our textbook. I mean, we can say, oh, yeah, it's setting up. It's hit here multiple times. It's going to really break down from here. But a lot of times you got to wait for those breakdowns because sometimes they don't break down and then they bounce off the support once again. So, I mean, we've talked about ARKK too, massive support down there in that 35 to 36 area and it bounced out of there again back in June. And now you've kind of pulled back to the 50%. Like I've said before, yeah. I still think there's a possibility that ARKK 2022 low is in because those stocks just already had their bear market. They've just been hammered. So can they come in long, you know, longer term? Yeah, I wouldn't buy Air KK long term, but I still think, I think if we're getting out of this, I think if we get some CPI data in a week and a half, 
that actually is a little bit softer, it's going to be those type of stocks that lead us out of here. So I don't know if you want to jump the gun because obviously who knows, you know, what the data is going to be. But I do think eventually that data is going to get softer. That's CPI data. Has not had, uh, uh, looks like you haven't had two good months since like the end of 20 and early 21. You are, I mean, with everything that's going on, you so far, we're very early in the month. Uh, we're working on a green month. 39.88 was your close in June. We're currently close to that area. A lot of time to go, but maybe, I don't know, you're almost at the point like one, you know, if you could get one green monthly candle, that would be the first one since uh october of of uh of last year all right let's keep it going here let's get into some let's do let's do some oil talk and then i'll of course i'll cover warren (laughs) buffett but i want to do some oil talk here i want to have some fun with the chat let's have some fun here um i want you guys in the chat to go ahead and we're going to stay two cases here uh, I want you guys to lean on one side and let me know what you guys see happening. Of course, this doesn't have to be exact and you guys are taking a guess, but I want to see what the chat thinks. So you guys let us know what you guys think in the chat while we discuss it here. So JP Morgan is is now putting out a case for oil to get to $380 a barrel. And at the same time, City is coming around and saying that oil may collapse to a $65 barrel with recession. Like the same um, day, JP Morgan comes out with a 380 <laughs> price target and City comes out with a $65 Isn't price that the target. way it works, Dennis? Okay, <laughs> so throw it to the chat first before I, you know, throw in my thoughts. And you know what my thoughts are on all of yeah, this. Yeah, well, let, they, they can weigh in. Maybe throw you can it in. Who somebody. thinks, you know, who thinks JP Morgan's going to be right at 380 or who thinks City's going to be right at 65 I mean, one thing I can say for certain is when you mm-hmm. see stuff like this, it tells you that nobody has a clue. Nobody, nobody has knows. any clue on where we're going. You can do whatever modeling you want, whatever, you know, when you're looking through it. But really, and it, it, it's hard to predict this market right now. This is a very unpredictable market day to day, month to month. And looking out six months to a year, who knows where we are? Maybe Craig Johnson is going to be right. And we're going to make a new all-time highs. It would not shock me. I don't see the path to get there. But in this market, nothing surprises you. Nothing surprises you. So three hundred eighty dollars. I have no well, idea how in the hell it's going to get three hundred eighty dollars. But you know, if I think that maybe hey. there's a case there, maybe you know that demand destruction isn't going to happen, and we're going to all no, just, you know, we'll use it. Spend. We're going to spend. No, we'll buy dollars. it. Yeah, no, well, we'll buy it. Well, there'll, there'll be no economic activity. There'll be I nothing. Say, there'll be no flying. There'll be nothing. We'll I will do say, absolutely. The world will come to an end. I tell you, if we go to 380 a barrel, Carnival Cruise Lines is going to zero. Yeah. <laughs> the chat, the that, chat, that's one I thing going to happen. Or at least it's going bankrupt. In I hope here. bankrupt stocks go to zero, but it's going bankrupt if we go to $380. Airlines, Winnebago's, all that stuff. We're going to 380 oil. You don't want to own any of those stocks. None of them. You don't even want to mow your lawn. Chat's you saying 380. You gotta do yeah, you want to cost you 500 bucks to mow the lawn. Electric. Chat saying 380, guys. Uh, we're going to have to continue watching this. I uh, see a lot of 65s. I'll go with 65 over 380 <laughs> all day, every day. 65 all day. And I think I actually agree with the city analyst. I think oil's going to come down. And the reason is demand destruction already occurring. I go by these you know, marinas. Half the boats are raft. I'm not joking. Like, I'm in boating half towns Half the boats here. are really? Boating towns. Half the people didn't unwrap their boat. There's a lot of boats in the water. People are still going to boat. But there's a lot of people that just said, screw it. My father-in-law was one of them. Didn't unwrap his boat. Okay. I'm like, boats every year. Like, no. It's going to be like 250 a liter on the water. That's, you know, what we're paying in Canada, which is like 10 bucks a gallon on the water. Nope. And, you know, I've went out a couple times. I don't think about it as much, you know. But still, you got a boat, like a 35, 40 foot, you know, or even bigger boat. You're burning so much gas. That gas bill is twice as much as last year. There is demand destruction happening there. But like to Mitch's point, you were saying, go to $380, you won't even drive anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we go to $300. Electric cars. <laughs> got to hey, get along I, electric cars. I, I will say, a barrel. I, I will say, I think that 380 is a little bit extreme there. But there was a time when $120 a barrel was extreme. And now that just seems like that's eh, a normal number now. So who's not to say that, I don't know, maybe we can get to, I don't know, 180 or 200 
I think that's still think definitely the in the way. realms. Uh, I think but... we've already seen the high in oil prices. I think, and I might be wrong, and I've been wrong about this before, okay. but you know, we, when you look at the oil stocks, they had their bull run. You know, and they've just come for every commodity. They came for lumber, knocked lumber prices back down. They yeah. came for steel, knocked steel prices back down. They're coming for oil, and they've started coming for oil here too. Oil prices have started leaking, mm-hmm. pun intended. Oil, like the Chevrons and Exxons, those things have been hit. Those stocks have been hit. And that's because demand destruction is coming and because you cannot stop. You Don't uh, fight the Fed. It goes I'll right tell back. you what don't you can do. Fed. I'll tell you what you can do. You might want to hedge. By maybe doing a Warren Buffett move. Yeah, I see that's, wow. that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, just I'm buying some Oxy stock in the meantime, right? It's a life I mean, hedge. It's a life because, hedge. You know what? It's a life hedge, yeah, because you need oil with everything. So if you own oil stocks, you're hedging your life. So it's right? not a bad call. That hey, way, not a bad call. That's my man uh Warren Buffett stepping up to the plate again, guys, buying another 9.9 million shares of Occidental Petroleum uh, Oxy, raising the stake to 17.4%. That's pretty big now. Uh, Berkshire paid about 582 million per shares, according to a a Friday night filing. Um, Buffett's company in Oxy now is the largest shareholder owning 163.4 million shares worth about $9.9 billion. If there was any oil stock that I would buy right now, and I don't own any of them right now, it would be Oxy. I that said on the show on Friday, it was the other analyst that said it, you know, last week. Yeah, He owns enough of it that I think he's going to, I think he's going to buy the company. I think he could end up buying it out for like 80 bucks a share. So I think eventually Warren could buy OXY. He's just accumulating so much of it. I mean, maybe he just keeps buying it like this. I mean, it's kind of smart. Just keep buying it in the open market. I mean, if you accumulate 30, 40% of the company and then take it over, it's a hell of a lot cheaper for you to go about it that way. So I think he's he's accumulating a huge position in this for a reason. I think eventually going to take it take private. I think there's a possibility. Like, this is where, my opinion, but I think it's you, a possibility. Can you think, and someone would have to do the research on this, I mean, has he owned a larger percent of a company that he hasn't taken over i mean just to keep accumulating like this probably and... but it's Oof. writings on the wall here that he wants this company right yeah the only thing i would say is that maybe apple that's the only one you can say he doesn't own it but he has a big position in it he has a big, but i don't think it's big as on a percentage basis. he can't afford to buy yeah it. he can't okay. afford yeah but he could afford to buy it what's oxy's market cap like let's just mm. play you know yeah let's do he... it can he swallow it? You know, I'm pretty sure he can. He's already got what, 17 percent? Uh, f- 55 bill. Yeah, 55 so, billion for Buffett. So. He can, and yeah, so let's say he gives a 70 bill. He has 9.9. I think I think there's a distinct right. possibility he buys the whole company. So Buffett on 40 percent of his portfolio is Apple. He doesn't own 40 percent of Apple. No, 40 percent of his portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, 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 obviously he doesn't know that much. Forty yeah. percent Apple, that would be. Uh, but uh, all right, we're we're trying to rebound here a little bit. Uh, we just, I don't think we had any specific news. I just think it's uh, there's just nothing in here, you know. This, yeah, no know. news is, is is that good news? No news might be bad news in my eyes because uh, there's so much worry and in, in, as investors out there, right? So you need something good to fluff us up a little bit. We're just um, in thin markets. Yeah, yeah. These markets are thin right now. And, you know, people are saying, you know, the futures, why are they up and why are they down? Why are they going all? Of... I mean, one, it's a holiday weekend, so they're going to be thinner. It was at least a holiday mm-hmm. weekend. And two, it's just the markets are thinner. The market makers are a little wider here. There's more risk out there. I mean, it's thin markets. So the chop is going to stay. I mean, where's the VIX? We're at 28. I mean, that's not coming down anytime soon here either. So I'll only thing you. it's going to rescue us is July 13th. If we get a soft CPI number, that's going to be the start of the rip your face off rally, in my opinion. So I think we know what the catalyst is. And I think, you know, we're going to get some other numbers before that. We've got jobs number jobs here number, on yeah. Friday. Those numbers can move the market a bit. But we're all waiting. Everybody's waiting on that CPI data. Uh, I think the mo- I would say uh, for my man, uh, Market Structure Edge, I-, I wish he was coming on today. Uh, when when I'm going to be coming? Not not today. Ah. We, we we have Jerry Parker though. I, I don't think he he'll definitely fill in perfectly there. But I think okay, he good. would point towards the algos probably action on Friday. Um, fast trading there. I, I'm pretty sure that his uh, market structure would tell us fast trading there on Friday. 
Um, and then now we're seeing a little bit of kind of a slowdown um, from that push. Uh, can we get back to 380s is going to be my watch on the spy today. Uh, but let's go to some rumors out there because rumors have really been moving stocks here. Uh, rumor out there on Toronto Dominion Bank. The Canadian bank is weighing a deal for brokerage firm Cowan. Um, what, what do you think here, Dennis? Big move there from a rumor. Friday night, COWM started ripping higher. I was like, what's going on here? And then you see the rumor break. Um I don't pay up 15% for any stock in a bear market on a rumor. So, I mean, if you're along the thing, we don't know if it's going to materialize. Maybe it's going to be a takeover. But what kind of premium is really going to be there? We've got to take lessons from Zendesk. Yep. And in the Zendesk case, oh my gosh, if somebody's going to buy Zendesk. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming, I wish I'd used Indeed. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility all at Indeed.com P-R-E-P. Just go to Indeed.com P-R-E-P right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com P-R-E-P. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba desk and they're ripping it higher and it trade to 95 dollars on the rumor then the takeover happened and it was at 75 dollars we're not in a bull market where you have to pay ridiculous premiums for stocks this is you know brokerage company here so it's not like some high flying tech stock to pay a 15 percent premium that sounds about right. So I don't know what the risk herbs are doing, why they got to rip it higher on the rumor 15%. I think if you're buying up 15%, I think you're giving up most of the edge. So if I was long it, I would sell it. Um, I don't like shorting stocks when they're in play, but, you know, because sometimes you can Doesn't get your head ripped sense. off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, I think in a bull case scenario, this is just me. If it gets taken over, $30 is like a pretty fun number. So maybe it's 30 bucks. But then you're like, you know, you're two bucks up, you're four bucks down. So how do you justify buying a 2750 or it was over 28 this morning? I'd, I can't see the justification for paying up for this. So I'd actually sell it. Uh, the, the initial surge took it to 2871. That was on Friday when uh, we were thinner starting markets, to put the uh, thinner markets. Uh, right now, um, this is just short term trading. It just looks like someone saying, hey, you know, I bought this under 22 last week. I'm selling it at 28. So with these kind of rooms, you want to, you know, you want to see it come out. Like with that Zendesk thing, it, it came out, it popped. There was over premium. Boom. The deal came yeah. out 75. Boom. That was the end of it. And now it's, this is Friday. Now this is Tuesday. No deal yet. And you haven't heard anything yet. The longer they go, the more they leak. It's a great exactly. point you're making, Joel. The longer the deal takes to get announced, the more they mm -hmm. leak because obviously then there's the concerns that this deal is not going to happen. You know, and I got burned in coals. You know, I had oh, the coals. Yeah, I okay. sold half of it and then I kept half of it. And, you know, and obviously now I'm bag holding that thing big time in the long term account. It's down 28 bucks. And you're like, should have sold it all. I sold part of it on the rumors and should have sold it all because, you know, you don't take your profits when you get these pops on these rumors. They don't materialize. This is what happens. So learn from my mistakes here. I think in Cowan's case, a bird in the hand right now is worth way more than two in the bush. All right, let's keep going. Let's do a little talk on the airlines. Uh, there was a lot of delays throughout the holidays, of course. Um, the chat was talking about how do these kind of delays affect the stock? Uh, before we get to Jerry here, we'll be getting into that in about 
two minutes here. Uh, let's do a quick little talk on the airlines. Uh, I do have a stat for us. This is brought to you by Flight Aware. Uh, Flight Aware is saying that 20.2% of flights were delayed up from 16.7% a year ago. So uh, it looks like uh, a fifth of your flights are being delayed. So you might not want to show up on time uh, for your flights because you more than likely uh, will have a delay. There's so much trouble, labor issues here, higher fuel costs. You know, we've talked about the breakdown in Carnival and CCL and RCL and NCLH. I mean, the airlines are in the same boat. I mean, it's very, very tough to just come in here and buy airlines when they're getting squeezed on all ends. And then if you throw a little bit of demand destruction, which is probably coming for that industry as well, because right now everybody's still traveling. They have their tickets bucked. They're traveling, they're having good times, but six months out, it's going to be the same. If we go into recession, probably not. So tough to just come in here and buy airlines. Any, If I'm buying a travel stock and I already own it, I'd be Disney. But the simple reason is that I think Disney's got the cash that they're going to be okay even if we go into a recession. But these airlines and cruise lines, we go into a recession, high fuel costs, labor costs high, demand destruction occurring. You might see some bankruptcies. A lot, there was a lot of weather. That's, a, you know, with flying, like if one domino falls, one delay, one place because <laughs> You're of You're going to pull that one on, Joel? Joel, it, I, I got to hit you hard on that one, man. Uh, weather? Yeah, weather? Weather, weather could do it. I mean, if, they're, if they, it, whether they need to do the ground delay or not, <laughs> it happens, it throws things off. But you know what? I tell you, I don't care about the price of gas. I got two two long road trips planned, so Joel, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm making you the CEO of America. I'm not airlines dealing with the airlines, cause... absolutely not. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to be trip. subject to that road trip. That road is, trip. I, might, I don't know if I could swing up. No, you're kind of out of the way on this one, but uh, no, um, airlines they've, they've never it seems like they've never been in a bull market, right? I mean, if you look at their relative performance over the years. They just haven't been great investments. So starting even out, before I, COVID, yeah, yeah pre-COVID, yeah. Like let's look at look at American Airlines when we were on. So it was fifty nine dollars a share in twenty eighteen. Before COVID hit, it was thirty. They were all leaking. Then COVID almost put them under, but we know they had bailouts that saved them. I know. I think the bailouts are coming this time. I mean, maybe they are at a certain point in time, but they're not going to bail out the shareholders. They might bail out the companies from folding. But there's yeah, it's tough skies ahead. Unless you're going to see a collapse in oil price, which maybe that can occur. If oil goes to $65 a barrel, um, you know, maybe these airlines, you know, that's going to help them big time. So if oil goes to 380, I ain't going to 380. But I mean, even if it continues to stay elevated for a prolonged period of time, these airlines are going to, they're burning a lot of cash right now. All right, let's go ahead. Let's get into our guest of today. Excited to go ahead and dive on in. Let's bring on Jerry Parker, Chairman and CEO of Chesapeake Capital. Welcome, Jerry. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Yeah, well, uh, man, long time. My brother-in-law has been talking about this guy for a long time. Uh, been investing in your funds for about a hundred years now, and uh, I just, just overall, I just want to get you know um, your take on 2020, 21, and 22 from a turtle perspective. Oh wow, that's a good question because I'd have to say that uh, this is the best uh, two and a half years I've experienced trend following. Uh, in these markets, sort of risk adjusted. I've made more money, but I'm more calm and uh, risk averse now. But these markets have just been amazing. The commodities started in the fall of 2020, and probably we hadn't made money in the commodities in 10 years. So there you go. Don't kick things out of your portfolio just because they're not making money. Uh, they're there for a reason, and they'll uh, they could really surprise you. So then. Uh, that was just a great move. Those, all those commodities, the grains, uh, the base metals, of course, energy. Uh, then you had uh, the dollar kick in. And then this year, of course, um, interest rates massively short all the bonds and short term rates across the world. So uh, and getting ready to be short, you know, picking up some shorts in the stock indices as well. So it's been a great period. The commodities sort of sold off recently. Uh, and bonds, bonds have sort of rallied last week violently, but uh, a great period. I can hardly even think of a better period in my 39-year career. 
Okay, so let's uh let's just get to some of these individual commodities. I don't know if you were listening earlier. You got one analyst talking about $65 crude, and you got another one calling for $380 crude. I don't think there's any way that uh uh you know the economy could sustain that. People just wouldn't buy it or wouldn't do anything. Uh how much of what you look at is is fundamental and uh technicals and just it just stick it to your system. Sticking to the system, uh, just the trend-following system, buying the highs, selling the lows, um, just being incredibly diversified all the time, not trying to have an opinion on where the big moves are going to come from, um, long and short, of course. Uh So I don't really pay any attention to um, the fundamentals, although I kind of do prefer my positions to be more or less opposite the fundamentals to some degree. If people are talking up the positions, then that will get a little worrisome. $380 crude is not going to help me my long <laughs> position, crude position. I like the $65 analysis a bit better. Uh, so I think uh, that has a tendency to kind of just be a sideshow, not something I really listen to. But as uh, I was taught early on, don't desire to have other people agree with your positions. Uh, it should be a lonely trade, at least for a while, until everybody gets on board. And that's probably a good sign it's going to turn around. How do you mute out the noise, though? I mean, it's it's coming out of from so many different angles now. It used to just be from CNBC, but I mean, now social media, everywhere. I mean, there's just so much information. I feel like almost it's information overload. And everybody's got an opinion, and everybody's throwing that opinion at you. How do you just like mute that out and just go with your system? Well, as an individual, you can't really mute it out, but as a trading organization, you can in the sense that you've got one group that designs the systems and implement and creates the trades each day. The computer creates the trades and another group gets the trades and they must do the trades. And so the rest of us just look at the markets and shake our head and wonder what's going to happen. But so this division of duties and not allowing, uh, anybody to have some sort of emotional response to the markets, you can make it happen, but you're still going to be impacted by it. Uh, my son was asking me the other day, just a minute ago, like, do the futures markets ever close? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> kind of, but not really. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all, it's always on your mind or Sunday evening comes very quickly. It sure does. Um, as far as like, you know, positioning in some of these commodities, and I know that you're trend following, it takes a couple stabs, doesn't it? I mean, if you're if you're trying to, you know, uh, you know, get a long term position in something or cover a position, mainly getting into the position. I mean, with the volatility, do you find that you just have to take a couple stabs, or do you just take that initial piece and then, you know, and then when it starts going your way, adding to it? Well, you definitely do that. You take an initial piece and then uh, you add to it if it keeps going your direction. But then sometimes then it reverses and all the initial pieces and the ads get turn out to be losses. But I definitely don't subscribe to this idea that um, a good trade will show a profit immediately and it's just off and running. It doesn't work that way all the time. But uh, you did bring up, a. you made me think of a, back in the... 90s i went to hear paul jones speak and he talked about getting short the japanese stock market and how much press he got about calling that right and he said uh something i'll never forget he said yeah well what people don't want to hear is that was my sixth time trying to go short so sometimes you know (laughs) you have to do the trade take a small loss you just have to keep banging your head up against the wall and uh because the one thing that's just a total, un- totally unacceptable would be missing one of those big trends. And so the market's not going to necessarily play nice and it may cause you a little bit of pain uh, to get that trade on so you can get a profit and so you can hold on to it. Once it's a profit for me, it is like golden. You know, we're set. I am going to be so, so patient and let that thing try to turn into a big winner. But if it's a loser, I have no patience. It's going to, I'm going to jettison that pretty quickly. 
Awesome. I, I definitely agree with that. Definitely trying to get those winners to uh, kind of push the equity up is definitely going to help you. One of the conditions that we've been seeing, of course, is the focus still on Russia. Will Russia continue to use a bargaining uh, blockade here of Ukrainian grain exports as their bargaining chip? Will you, are, is that what you are expecting to see, Jerry? Well, once again, I probably don't keep up with that as much as I should, but it's not going to impact my position, let's say. And I have a lot of wheat. I trade like five wheat markets. So I have not seen any good news. Uh, no news is impacting my uh, wheat positions in a positive way. Last week was a pretty bad week for the wheat market. It, it was down pretty strong every day. So that's one of those things where uh, if there's negative news, if there's news coming out that should help your position, and it doesn't, then that's kind of a bad sign. That's kind of the reverse. Now we have the opposite happening where this news should be lifting my wheat position, but it's not. So I'm very skeptical uh, that this news is going to work out in my favor. You got to go with the market and the market is sort of saying. Price don't lie. Price right. don't lie. Uh, just overall, you know, your perspective on things, uh, you know, you've been in the markets for for several years, you've been in some bull markets and, and bear markets, and we had a great run. Is there any like any parallels that you can you know that you could pull from the past that might give us a clue to like when or if? See, that's the other thing I have with me with the markets. Like markets always going to bottom. You know, it's always going to turn around and go back to do all time highs. Is from all your years and your experience, you know, with, with trading commodities, and also I know you're involved in the equities markets. Is there anything that tells you that the bottom's in here anytime soon? Oh, no. I mean, I think that's predicting. And uh, people ask me, like, what do you think is going to happen in a certain market? Uh, I will say, like, well, all I know is the proper positions to have on. So I know I should be long dollar short some stocks, of course, in this downtrend and still long my commodities and uh, absolutely the trend is down in the bonds. But where they're going to go, I have no idea. However, uh, I would say that um, the bottom could be in, but this does remind me a bit of 2008 only in a sense that um, it just, you can see in some of these downtrends, especially in the stocks, that, you know, stocks ended up, the S&P ended up going down 50% in 2008 with violent rallies, 4% rallies yeah. in certain days. Yeah. And then uh, it was all over. And then it would, just a few weeks later, make a new low. So that kind of is this feeling that uh, the stocks just have too many people willing to buy the dip. And I think there's just too many people who come in every day and their job is to buy stocks. So you're not going to get this smooth downtrend uh, like you might get, like we got in the bonds. In uh, the stocks are going to fight this all the way down with violent rallies. And it just goes to show you that don't have your stock too close to the market. Let it go. You know, be kind of uh, loose with this and let those profits go. Because, I mean, more than likely, we're not going to see a big downtrend. But... Uh, we could. And so don't screw that up by being too close and in, in getting bump, bumped out, knocked out of your good trade with very unpleasant rallies. But if you look at the chart, well, the trend is obviously still down. Jerry, I think you're just making such a good point here. It sounds like, you know, you're not in the prediction game here. You're in the systematic trading game more than anything. And so many new traders, you know, especially almost every new trader starts, think they have to make a call. They've got to like, okay, well, I, this is what I think is going to happen. And they're in the prediction game. And that's what I've been trying to say for the show in the eight years. The reason I'm somewhat successful is I'm also market neutral. Um, but, you know, I'm just trying to extract alpha from the inefficiencies or doing, you know, or trading my system. And it's my system that is consistent. When I start trying to make predictions, it starts to get a lot harder. So, I mean, can you just go into that a little bit more? Like, how do you, like, come in and to even, like, develop a system? Like, you know, the, the beginning stages of changing from trying to predict the market to trying to trade the market from a more systematic approach. Can you talk about how, how to do that? Yeah, or, I mean, I just, I use the simplest possible way is just moving averages or breakouts just uh, all you're trying to do is diversify and get in gear with the different trends uh, stocks commodities bonds and uh, interest rates and uh, FX so 
you know, you want to trade a lot of markets and put a lot of small trades on and just be in gear with the trend as you see it. And thankfully in my career, whenever I have, of course, I'm human, I have uh, emotional situations where I've gotten out of a trade too quickly or bypassed a trade. It's always punished me. So I've never, uh, you know, been successful in discretion. So that's a good thing, you know, because you want to keep uh, reminding yourself how the opposite of systematic and rules-based has never really worked out. Uh, but I think taking small losses is not as difficult. The hardest thing in the world is to hang on to a big profit because we just want to get out and book that profit. And you just have to keep telling yourself, no matter what the market looks like today, it looks pretty stupid that I'm still long wheat, for instance. And I'm sure a lot of my friends are out of wheat, but you just got to keep uh, relying upon that back test in your in the, the systematic approach because you really there's really no evidence that you can predict and you're going to do anything your performance is never going to be better than following your system i mean that's one, definitely yeah, one more question are you sticking right to the moving averages or like i mean trends it's 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 a little bit subjective when the trend is broken i mean i look at wheat and we can use that for an example i mean if you look it depends on your time frame if you look out far enough there's definitely still you know it looks like the trend is higher but when you look short term it looks like the trend is broken it's like how, what time frame do you use to really you know just determine whether you know the trend is still intact or not that's a very good question that's a deep question i love i love that because yeah i think i um you don't want to look at the markets with this uh, subjective viewpoint that I think the trend has turned uh, because you're 100% right. Successful traders need to have uh, multiple time frames. So I have a short term time frame and a long term time frame and a few time frames in between. Right. So I'm spreading out my trades. I'm trading uh, shorter term and longer term just for the diversification purposes. And um, so my first system can be short. My longest term system can be long still. So this is uh, using these metrics and these moving averages and breakouts. This is a very uh, objective way of trading and then trying to sort of uh, talk about, well, has the trend changed? That's way too subjective. So uh, you don't really want to think in those terms. You want to think in terms of I have these rules. I'm going to follow them they are trend following. If you force me to describe them, I am sort of trend following, but my different systems can have different points of view because just as you said, it depends upon your time frame whether something is still in an uptrend or now it's reversed. So I, as a short a shorthand, I shouldn't uh, say it the way I did. Uh, these systems, they are trend following these rules, but uh, they they have their own mind and they sort of can disagree with each other. And that's fine because they all make money and they're, they uh, smooth out my returns to some degree. All right, definitely. We'll go ahead and wrap on up with that. Uh, what main thing I get out of there, guys, is uh, know your time frame, right? Knowing the time frame that you're in from the short term or the long term trades are definitely going to go ahead and make a change there. Thank you for coming on, Jerry. I appreciate you coming on here. Uh, this is the capital uh ceo also chesapeake capital and chairman also thank you for joining us today jerry parker thanks guys appreciate it thanks, thanks jerry all right um let's go ahead let's start wrapping on up well, we do want to go lessons, ahead and though. get some uh i think we should stop time this. going no worries we'll just, talk about just, that we'll talk about it dennis just just lots of lessons that we can learn from jerry there i mean so many people again i just want to go in it's the same thing especially from non-traders like people what do you think is going to happen with this what do you think I, how often do you get that question joel i oh, mean oh, you yeah, go to a family function and everybody attacks you and they <laughs> want to know what do you think is going to happen to bitcoin yeah that's what, what do you think is going to happen to microsoft <laughs> what do you think where what are you buying today i mean this is you know for anybody who's traded for a while and other people know you're a trader that is the question that you get it always starts with what do you think what do you think and the biggest thing and the biggest thing I want to teach you guys here today is what Jerry was saying is we don't get paid to think. We get paid to implement systematic approach and extract alpha from that systematic approach. Whether, you know, he's got a system of following trend, moving averages, he's got a system that works. Obviously, I'm more of a pairs trader where I'm looking at relationships. I make the majority of my money because, you know, we've got one stock going one direction and one stock going to the other. And these two stocks are related. And I'm saying that the relationship's going to come back in. And obviously, lots of other different inefficiencies as well. 
But you know, that's how I make my money. My money isn't made from saying, I think oil's going to $65 a barrel. That's not where I'm making my bucks. You know, can I make a bet on that? And is it fun to make a bet on that? Is it fun to make a call? Sure. My bread and butter is systematic approach. It's why, you know, I'm fairly consistent and making money on a monthly basis. And it's in, in 22 years, I always get punished when I try to like make a call. You know, it seems like, you know, you're wrong, you know, for whatever reason. So again, you know, it's hard for people to understand that it's the market isn't, you know, and when you're trading for a living, it's not about predicting. It's about a, a developing a systematic approach to the market and following those systems. And then, you know, obviously you've got to make adjustments for the types of markets that you're in. But I mean, a good system, you know, like when you're trend following, what? makes the adjustments for you. Dennis, what I always say is keep the odds in your favor and find out what truly edge it really is, is so important for traders on out there. They can say that they have edge, but the true way that you'll know you have edge is if you have a quantifiable approach and you can actually run what's called the acid base test. So if you guys want to check that on out, what is that going to do? Is this going to be a test to determine if you're strategy is more objective or subjective if there's some subjectiveness left there then maybe you got to find out ways to make it more objective to go ahead and nail it down uh, you guys can look a little bit more about that dennis always going to go ahead and help us on that because why he's in he's in the dirty work he's doing it every single day guys and he knows how important his edge is and how it, it doesn't necessarily rely on any uh subjective there and that's why you always see uh dennis kind of flip right i mean that's why you see his flexibility in his trading is because he's not trying to make subjective decisions but objective ones and yeah. in my long-term account which underperforms my trading account i do make those types of decisions you know because i'm investing it's long only it's market dependent people keep asking why do you even have a long-term account why don't you just trade it because you're trying to build wealth over the long run i mean like i said you know my average cost basis on the queues is 44 dollars so I mean, it was money that you know I'm not actively working that is passively making me money over time. So that's why I still have a long-term investment portfolio, which I make adjustments to and do stuff. But my bread and butter is my trading account, which is market neutral and goes flat every single day at 10 a.m. I've said that before. I'm literally 100% cash in my trading account, no matter what. Even if a stock is killing me, I'm not holding it hoping it comes back. I eat it in my trading account. My trading account is 100% cash every single day at 10 a.m. Because that's when I'm taking off. And, you know, I've got I said in the middle of the day, I don't trade 10 to 2 unless there's some information or there's some news. I mean, it's a Fed day. Maybe there's some good trading. You know, I might make an exception for the most part. You know, I'm trading pre-market. I'm trading the open. The open is my bread and butter. Getting flat around 10, getting back to my desk, 2.30, 3 o'clock, trading the close, trading a little bit of inefficiencies after hours, trading overnight. You know, maybe I have some opinions or maybe, you know, I'm long a stock that's going to report earnings because I have that alpha extraction from the, you know, the natural, you know, going up long a dividend stock. We've talked about all these strategies over the years, but that's the biggest difference is, you know, my trading account. I don't want to be a bag holder. You've got to have discipline. You've got to get the hell out. Yeah. Also with, uh, and I think mm -hmm. what um, the main thing that Jerry tried to stress was like timeframes, right? And the, and like, look at it, this, you know, I'm looking at the wheat chart and obviously he said, you know, overall the positions moving against them with, with the commodity. I mean, okay, that's the SEP wheat, but when he means by, you know, the different dive, you know, he might, he might be short other months. I mean, overall he has a net long position and overall his position is moving against them. He's losing money on it, but he's just not sitting there just naked long the, you know, the SEP contract. He'll, he, he'll sell other contracts and then, you know, try and use his system to change. But uh, boy, oh boy, we are just continuing the leak here. Uh, we are down on the lows. There's just nothing. I wish Gene's I on CNBC. Maybe he's talking down the market. Gene, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. I'll have to, he's we'll talking have to Tesla. Yeah, we'll have to dial him up. But, uh, you know, with his with his time frames, he's just saying, you know, when I asked him, we both asked him a couple of times, say, hey, what do you think? He's like, this this is what's happening right now. This is what my system's saying. This is when I'm following it. If my yeah. system changed, then I'm, I'll change the opinion. But uh, it's great to get the commodity perspective. Um, we're actually going to have another commodity. I'm going heavy commodities this week. Got another commodity guy coming on tomorrow. So 858, do we want to, do we, do we catch all that? 
other the leak, news. The leak, the leak, the leak, man. It just, uh, yeah. it's just a huge leak. Non right stop since last night. Joel, bring up the SP chart again. I mean, this has just yeah. been a slow, steady leak. How much, where did we get to last night? What was the high? We never mentioned it. We don't want to talk about 30, the high. almost 180 handles away. 80 handles higher. We've leaked away 80 handles here. Wow. I mean, this is just a bear market right there. You know, overnight, little thinner markets, people get excited. They buy it up a little bit. And then just the slow, steady leak started basically while well, we made the highs just shortly. That was Sunday night. Yeah. And then, yeah. Actually, so we got, that was we got two days. That's Monday night. We oh, made that, that was Monday night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then just the slow, steady leak. I mean, it started around three o'clock, probably when the European markets open. Maybe we can go blame Europe here again. Their markets are down substantially. You can look at EFA if you want to get a quick look at the European markets. Down 2.89%, not helping the case whatsoever. I mean, we've talked about these European banks as well. Deutsche Bank Ugh. down again here today. It's nonstop. There's just no reprieve. It's down another 6.74%. It's telling you that there appears to be like a global financial crisis on the horizon here. Like Deutsche Bank and other all the European banks are just getting hammered every single day. Rising interest rate environment doesn't even matter for them. Um, it's just a matter of uh, they're, they're, they're pricing in a major recession. So, I mean, you got to look at that too. And could we go into another financial crisis? It is a possibility. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, but it is not off the table. And these banks are pricing a lot of bad news because the banks should be going up in this higher interest rate environment they and they're be. going the exact opposite way. And that's recession concerns. All right. I'm going to sign off. I'll go over pre-market prep plus because we did not cover one symbol. So I'm going to go over there and get the symbols. And uh, Mitch and Dennis, I'll, I'll check in with you guys later, later on. Everyone have a good day. All right. Then uh, we'll start wrapping it up. I'm sorry we didn't cover too much of particular give me one symbol give me one symbol i'll cover um, one quick quick uh, quick i, I saw him mentioned in the chat so i guess you want to do nvidia i haven't done it in i a guess while. nvidia let's, let's NVIDIA. take a look i mean here's i have amd so it's basically like having nvidia to a certain extent making new lows on the move i always say stocks making new lows you gotta go there's no reason to be a hero here with that being said is there gonna be a time to buy nvidia mm -hmm. um absolutely this is a stock that would have on my shopping list this is a stock that's going to continue to run, you know, so many different companies, obviously, NVIDIA, on, on NVIDIA chips. So you're looking yeah. $346 down to 141 Could you start nibbling here? You could. I started nibbling on AMD. Dead wrong, though. So, I mean, the nibbles have hurt so far. You get your toes. You dip your toes in the water. You seem to get bet here. I think down in the 115 to 130 area. I think, and I don't have a position in NVIDIA, I think I might start a position down there if we start to get down that low. We've come back. Could we give back the entire COVID run? That's a scary thought because if we were to give back the entire COVID, you know, like run, which started around $75, the stock mm -hmm. would have 40% more downside. I don't think it's going to give back the entire COVID run. I do yeah. think that there could be more downside here, though, and I think if you're buying NVIDIA or even AMD for that matter, you're early. I was very early on AMD. Yeah, I know we don't uh, talk too much about moving averages here, but the weekly 200 stands out to me. That's going to be on NVIDIA at 121 on AMD. That's going to be coming closer towards the AMD one, which would be towards 67.36. Um, so somewhere around here between 75 and 58, uh, the next level of support or resistance, prior resistance was 58. So once we get into that 65 to 60 range, I think AMD is going to be interesting for me on a long-term basis. And same thing for NVIDIA down towards 125. I definitely think you are getting to the point where you could try to start nibbling. But like always, just determine your own risk assessment and yeah. how you're trying to approach the trade, right? And I think that's when one thing that we also got earlier today is thinking about those levels, right? And if you think about levels like that, I, I think it's always important to understand, hey, all right, so if I'm going to start nibbling in here, where do I nibble again? And what's the ultimate risk? Ask yourself, hey, if this stock just keeps going down, where am I going to have that pain threshold where I'm saying enough's yeah. enough and I'm getting out? And I think as a trader, so if I'm wearing two hats on this NVIDIA chart, as a trader, mm -hmm. I wouldn't touch it. As a long-term investor, 
like I wouldn't touch it on hedged. I just like to buy it and say this is the bottom. As a long-term yeah. investor, it's a different story. You know, at a certain point in time, like 125, you know, maybe I start a position in the long-term portfolio. But as a trader here, there's no reason to be a hero here. The stock exactly. is making new 52 or you know, at least new. I think it's new 52-week low here today or getting close to it if it's not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it is because it made yeah. the new lows back in May. So we're making new 52-week lows tough to be long stocks making new 52 week lows yeah it's definitely telling me that it did not want to hold to the 155 support and now where is the next level i'd say don't play the hero also that's what dennis is kind of pointing to there's no need to be the hero especially if let's say if we were to rip and yeah. uh, rally and, yeah. and and then that was happening well that'd be a different environment but right now the environment is telling us what to be more careful right now right and, and i think so and a lot of things are going to be pointing towards both sides. You'll see a lot of talk, of course, about recession. Where are we going into it? Everything, I think, is going to be focused on the jobs number this Friday. But like always, we reviewed on the data related this week. Pay attention to that. I'm going to let Dennis go ahead and do what he does. We'll have you back, man. And shark do 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 Oh, yeah, baby. Daddy shark here. Hey. All right, guys, we're going to wrap on up, get you guys over to live trading with Benzinga. Stay tuned later today. Of course, we'll have Benzinga live. We'll also have, of course, stock market movers with myself. Don't miss that, guys, as we cover all the headlines, especially if there's any intraday action. I'll be covering that. Then later on in the day, we'll have moon or bust. Oh, actually, it's Tuesday. We're going to the roadmap today. We'll do some roadmap NFT coverage and then get you guys on over to At The Close with Joel Conan. So I'll see you guys there. Stay with us. Come trade with us. Come Come hang out on live trading. Let me know what you guys think in the chat. If you guys are enjoying live trading, what do you want to see more of? Come check out Lord Ryan and, of course, Zunaid. We'll see what happens coming up on the day. Smash the like as we get on out of here, guys. And like always, let's keep going right here on Benzinga. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.